Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. The Word of God that calls for our attention this morning comes to us from the first reading from Acts chapter 4, particularly the last two verses, verses 11 and 12, where Peter says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So far our text. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Immediately following the events of last week's sermon text, our text this morning takes place. As they were speaking to the people, Peter and John had not finished their sermon to the Jews coming for the prayer hour when the temple authorities arrived. Peter and John continued proving from the Old Testament prophets, strengthening their proclamation of the name that gives strength, planting seeds of faith in those who were first coming to faith, who had not believed before, watering the seeds that may have been planted because of the events that had happened in the couple of months since Jesus' resurrection. Those couple of months have been an exciting time in Jerusalem. That has made it to where the religious leaders were on edge. Almost more than they were before Jesus was crucified. Many of them thought that Jesus' death would end all talk about him. In fact, one of the most influential Pharisees will tell them in the next chapter, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So when the chief priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, they had no other choice. These religious leaders and temple guards were required to keep the peace, especially in religious matters. Interestingly enough, the Sadducees came out against Peter and John. You would expect the Pharisees, because they're the ones who were always coming after Jesus. But it was not just the speaking about Jesus, not just the teaching in the temple that riled them up. It was the content of the message that struck a chord with them. Peter and John were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That topic sent a shiver down the Sadducees' spines. They were ready to accept every doctrine that Moses expounded in the Torah. Every doctrine except the resurrection of the dead. Even when they approached Jesus about the supposed resurrection, he had to remind them from the scriptures that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He continually reveals himself to Moses and to all the prophets that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Speaking of them in the present tense, I am, not the past tense, I was. God clearly proclaimed the resurrection from the dead through Moses. But the Sadducees didn't consider that proclamation explicit enough. 
This renunciation of even the idea of resurrection plagues the Sadducees all through the book of Acts. But the Sadducees didn't come alone. They brought the priest along because most of the high priestly family were Sadducees. Annas and Caiaphas, who had both questioned Jesus, were among the top leaders of the Sadducees in Jerusalem. And regardless of the individual priest's confession, whether he sided with the Sadducees or with the Pharisees, these men had enough pool that could adversely affect the priest if they did not go along with them. They also brought the temple guard with them, the group of soldiers whose primary responsibility was to maintain order in the temple precinct, basically to make sure that no one got out of hand. You know, much like the ushers in church, right? To make sure everybody just sits in the pew and stays calm. Not that you Germans have an issue with that, but... And it's from this group of soldiers that the guards at Jesus' tomb were picked. To Peter and John, it must have reminded them of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Judas led a band of soldiers to arrest Jesus. But Jesus' arrest happened at night, after the Passover meal had been eaten. Peter and John were arrested earlier in the evening, the sun having not yet set. With this late hour, Peter and John spend the first of their countless number of nights in guard custody, arrested for the proclamation of Jesus' name and resurrection, the proclamation that Jesus is the cornerstone of their faith. The next morning, Peter takes the high priestly family back to the Psalms, especially Psalm 118, when he declares, This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He also links back to Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As the cornerstone, Jesus is the foundation upon which everything else in our life is built upon. Without this foundation, everything that is built will topple like the foolish man's house built on the sand. Peter is trying to warn these very influential Sadducees that their house, their works, are going to crash down around them. What specifically is the cornerstone? Jesus said it himself, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Although Annas and Caiaphas thought they were just getting rid of themselves of another wannabe Messiah, they played right into Jesus' plan. The plan that God had determined before the creation of the world. They thought they were fulfilling their own agenda, not realizing they were also fulfilling Jesus' agenda at the same time. The agenda of bringing salvation through the Good Shepherd the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd who said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Annas and Caiaphas didn't take Jesus' life. Pontius Pilate didn't take Jesus' life from him. The Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross didn't take his life from him. He laid it down himself. 
We celebrated that with the last two words from the cross on Good Friday. And having said this, he breathed his last. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. No one took his life from him. He offered it up willingly. This willing sacrifice is the cornerstone of our faith. One half of the salvation coin. He laid down his life. The other half is the resurrection. He took it back up again. This is what got the religious leaders' attention. They want nothing to do with resurrection. After all, resurrections don't happen. Yet we will sing in a few moments, Vain the stone, the watch, the seal. Christ has birthed the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids His rise. Christ has opened paradise. Just as everything was vain in His death, everything was vain against His resurrection. After His resurrection, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Jesus' name is a powerful leading force in the Christian life. We bear His name through our baptism into His death and resurrection. This one moment, a very few seconds at the font, defines the rest of our life. Regardless of if that's moments, or decades, that one moment defines who we are and the fact that we are in Him. Where we follow Him on the paths of righteousness, where His mercies are new every morning. His continually renewed mercies show us that God is greater than our heart, as St. John says. Our heart may condemn us, for what we have done in the past. But Jesus forgives the worst of our sinful actions, even the ones that we can't even forget or forgive ourselves. He remembers them no more because He has covered them with His blood. He proves Himself to be the one place where we can truly find forgiveness of sins. The one place where we can find the certainty There are sins no longer count against us. The one place where our heart does not condemn us. And if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Through this confidence, we may boldly approach God as we did a few moments ago, as our dear Heavenly Father. We may ask Him for whatever is in our hearts, knowing that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, God will answer and provide. Nowhere else can you find such confidence. No other name can give you salvation. No other name can instill confidence in the salvation they offer. Moses didn't instill confidence. He didn't even get to go into the promised land where he was leading the people. Muhammad doesn't instill confidence. He can't decide whether Christians are to be spared as people of the book or slaughtered as infidels. Confucius doesn't instill confidence. He said many wise things, but they've mostly all become filler for fortune cookies. 
Only Jesus, with His resurrection from the dead, is able to give confidence. The 23rd Psalm says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod of the law and the staff of the gospel are comforting to Christians. Even when the rod stings us sharply, it drives us back to the consolation of the staff. Peter and John saw this with a group of Jews coming to the temple to pray. Many of those who heard the word believed because of their message. They found their confidence not because they had such a great sermon that day. Their confidence was in the content, Jesus' resurrection. They saw that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And with this salvation, God gives a two-pronged commandment. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Jesus said the very same thing when He prepared His disciples on Monday, Thursday for His betrayal, His arrest, and His death. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. As Christians, we celebrate our salvation through our confession of faith, but also by loving our neighbor. We confess our faith so that we might have a clear witness of what Jesus has done, what Easter means to us, and why we have hope in dark times. We love all our neighbors, Christian and non-Christian alike. Our confession is not just hollow words. Neither is our love. We confess the great truths of the gospel because we have the strength and confidence that Jesus' name gives. We talked about this last week as we began the saga that continues to unfold this morning in our reading. We can be bold in our witness because we have the proof. We have 2,000 years of people trying to find the body of Jesus somewhere in a hidden tomb and finding nothing. Then they have to work up some other way to deny and denounce the resurrection. We also have the testimony of 2,000 years of bold witness given in the face of tragic and horrible death. Innumerable martyrs have lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. All of them firmly grasping to the confidence that Jesus' name gives, grasping the hope of everlasting life, not just a wish or a dream, a true reality that they knew they were close to becoming a part of and entering. They could say, whether faced by the lions, the sword, or anything else. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. They have been able to face even the most gruesome deaths without fear, because Jesus is with them. And we see this in the first martyr's death. St. Stephen was one of the seven deacons enlisted by the apostles to help with the distribution of the needs to the Greek widows. When he was brought before the Sanhedrin, the same body that Peter and John were brought before, his face glowed 
like the face of an angel. Jesus was visibly showing His indwelling of Stephen and His nearness to everyone. It also pointed back to Moses' face, which shone every time he came out of the tent of meeting after speaking with God. Jesus tried to display the truth even in Stephen's face. But the people did not want to see it as important. After his speech, he was driven out of the city and stoned. While he was being stoned, he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And with stones flying at him, as he was nearing his final breath, he echoed the Lord's request at his crucifixion. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even with his final breath, he confessed the great doctrine of the forgiveness of sins and witnessed to their need of it. And this is how best we love our neighbors. We witness to them in their need by serving them. St. John writes, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's not enough to simply say that we are a loving community. We must also be seen as a loving community. Not seeking after our own glory, like the hypocrites who would stand on the street corners and just make up long prayers so they could be heard. We seek God's glory in our love. As Jesus tells us, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not because of what you do, but because of Him working through you. Jesus speaks about this in such wonderful ways throughout the Gospels. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And if anyone would come after me, let him glorify himself? No. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. St. John picks this theme up again in his first epistle. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Not only be willing to serve, but be willing to die for one another. Not only for the sake of the gospel, as we have promised in our confirmation vows, and a couple of very wonderful young ladies get to do next week, and even the ones that are not so wonderful. But hey, I get to pick on them. He says also for the sake of our neighbors. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Yes, we begin this laying down of our lives first for our brothers and sisters in Christ. St. Paul shows this in his epistle to the Galatians. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But we don't keep our willingness to lay down our lives to to just other Christians. We are called to imitate our Savior. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. 
understanding the Christian life in this way. We see that part of our mission is to be light and salt for those outside the church. Light that guides people into the refuge God gives through the church. Salt that seeks to preserve the truth of our life-saving message. We reach out so that they might come in to see why we live different from the world. To see why we believe different from the world. To see why we look forward to something different from the world. All these things come because of the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for us. Who makes us lie down in the green pastures of His Word. Who leads us beside the still waters of the font. Who restores our soul with His very body and blood. Who leads us in the paths of righteousness. Because they are the only way of salvation. He laid down His life so that He may take it up. And that's why we celebrate that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.